Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So off air, James and I, we had this conversation that, you know, obviously, first of all, we share the same last name. So obviously, we must be descendants of the same branch of somewhere from Ireland, from some some crazy country on the other side of the world. And come to find out, we're also pretty remotely neighbors as well, too. So this is going to be a really interesting podcast episode. I think James is going to bring a lot of different things to the table that you may not expect a a standard lawyer to bring, because again, he's not a standard lawyer. He's above average lawyer. And as I give nicknames to the people that I'm interviewing, today's nickname is going to be the For the Win Boss. For obvious reason, because I mean, obviously he has the phone number, he has the marketing, he has the domain names. It only makes sense that we name him that boss as well. So, Jimmy, the floor is yours. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about you and what we're going to be talking about today? The near smart man. I like that. I got another nickname the other day. Somebody called me uh, She-Hulk attorney at law because, you know, I'm obviously getting the pump in while I'm also doing my work. So, (laughs) you know, I'll take my nicknames however I can get them. Uh, but no, I'm I'm super stoked to be here. I always, you know, love, you know, coming on, talking with other people, sharing what I do, just l- letting others know my passion for the law and how we're also different when it comes to the law. Because again, I don't want to be typical. If you're typical, you don't set, you don't stand out, you don't set yourself apart. So you got to do something to be different, and that's you know that's what we're trying to do. That's what we've done. Yeah, very, very, very cool. So, I mean, let's talk about, about you for a minute. I mean, obviously, I think because you're based out in Georgia, let's go ahead and, and get, get, get the, the nuances out the way. He's a yellow jacket, all right? So let's get, let's get the sports out the way. Are you a through-and-through through fan of the yellow jackets? Have you, are, are you going to the games? Are you, are you animated? Are you one of those people that run around screaming about who's going to win? Let's start with that. There are good and bad times. Unfortunately... <laughs> In my lifetime, there are m- many more bad times than good times when it comes to my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. But I bleed white and gold through and through. You know, that causes a lot of problems every once in a while because, I mean, we're a red and black state. Like, yeah. if you don't root for the dogs, you don't root for nobody. So, you know, I've, I've had to make some amends along the way. A lot of my family, they, they, don't, they don't look at me a certain way, especially during football season. But, yeah, I, I've been a season ticket holder for decades. I mean, it's it's, you know. They're my team. That's all I got. I was was there during the Calvin Johnson years. I mean, that was awesome. Those were good times. And now, not so much. (laughs) So, I mean, that leads me to like like your background. I mean, obviously, most lawyers don't have an engineering, you know, degree behind them. Like, so like, how did that, that expire and transpire from you being a civil engineer into being a lawyer? Like, how, how did that come to be? Man, I don't even know. I mean, it was it was such a crazy set of circumstances. I like I was on the civil engineering path uh-huh. for all time and eternity. Like that's I I knew when I went to school. Like even before I signed up, this is what I want to do. This is this is the career path that I'm going down. And literally, like two semesters before I graduated from tech, I was like, hmm, let's try this law school thing. And uh-huh. literally, that's all it was. I was like, let's give this a shot. And so I took the LSAT. You know, the test you got to take to get into law school. I did well enough. Somebody accepted me and I was like, all right, well, writing's on the wall. Let's give this a shot. 
Um, so I went to a small private school in Montgomery, Alabama called Faulkner University. And I thought I was going to do something different. I thought with my engineering background, I was either going to go one of two ways. I was either going to be a patent lawyer because you need a bachelor's of science or some kind of science background in order to do that type of law. So I was like, well, that's easy. Or I was like, well, I'm a civil engineer by trade and I could you know, work for EPA and be like environmental lawyer. So those were the two paths that I thought that I was going to, you know, eventually find my way towards. And that was not in the cards very quickly. Um, when it comes to patent law, that junk is super complex, super boring. I appreciate the people that do that. Like they are saints for doing it, but that's, that, that's not me. I, I, I gotta, I gotta be able to you know talk and argue and debate and not just look at patent applications and fight about that stuff. Like, but if that's your bag, that's great. That's awesome. And then the EPA and the environmental thing, I was like, nah, I got my chance to be in the courtroom. I enjoy that way too much. I love talking to people. I love trying to give a sales pitch and trying to tell everybody that I'm right and they're wrong. That's a lot more fun. So, I mean, what I'm getting, obviously, you're a people person, and that kind of led you away from the engineering side. I mean, obviously, most engineers are kind of face down in the schematics, in the, the numbering game, but you want to kind of be in the face of the people to kind of help them hear their stories and defend them in, in, in court and in trial, which makes perfect sense for what you're doing, right? So, I, I listened to another podcast with you on there and I, I had to literally, I almost spit the water out of my mouth. I, it was so hilarious. It, it had me dying. I want you to kind of talk about the story about you're in court. You're like, we got this in the bag. We're going to win. And the guy you're, 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 you're defending is saying, yeah, I told you everything. I showed you the video. And then the opposing attorney comes up like, is that the entire video? And then they actually showed or talked about the entire video to where the guy was like going off cursing, talking about, yeah, I'm about to get paid. I want you to kind of talk about that. Like, how did that ruin your day and how did you overcome that? Oh, wow. That was, yeah, that, that one I'm never going to forget. Uh, so to set a little bit of the backstory, um, my client was injured in a car accident and he was a, a pretty well-known comedian at the time. He had been on for several seasons, Nick Cannon's Wild Out on MTV. Um, really, really funny guy, you know, tours all over the country. And, you know, he, came to us and we were representing him. Obviously, I mean, even this was a few years ago, but that was back when Facebook was the big thing. And we're like, all right, I need to know everything that's out there. Like, you know, your, your Facebook is different than most. Like most people, I can go to their Facebook and I can see what's there. But like, if you're posting four or five, six times a day, like I'm not gonna, now I learned my lesson back then. I was like, I'm not gonna waste my time to go back and find it and look for myself. You just send me what's there. That was where I went wrong in just trusting that the right information was going to be sent. So I got a clip of what was the video that was recorded at the scene. That video showed, hey, you know, she's in my lane. She came and she hit me and just like walking him, walking around, like talking, you know, through what happened. It's a, it's a good video. It was the video that I showed to the jury when we tried the case, you know everything's going good. Trial's going good. I sit down, like we presented our case. I'm like, Oh, we're, we're doing good. This is real good. Defense hmm. attorney gets up first question out of his mouth, like no introduction, no nothing. He was like, sir, that wasn't the whole video. Was it? And I mean, I gotta like, you know, put on my poker face. I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> what, what are we doing here? You know, your heart sinks and you're like, all right, how bad is this going to get? It got pretty bad. Um, there was, not too much more to the video, but enough where he was dog cussing 
the person that caused the accident. Um, the lady that caused the accident was a nice lady. She happened to be a little bit on the larger side. There also happened to be several other larger women on the jury. And he was making very demeaning comments about her size and about how that affected her driving. And then I was like, okay, okay, this is bad. I don't like this. Maybe we can fix it. Mm -hmm. Keeps going, keeps going. And then he turns the camera around on himself and says, hold my neck, hold my back, time to get paid. And I was like, oh, well, okay. That's a problem. <laughs> my neck and my back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was where we started. Um, and I was like, all right, we, we, we got an uphill battle now. And still, I... I put on my persuasion pants and I mean, I was out there charming everybody afterwards and we still got a verdict. We got, I think three or four times more than what the insurance company had offered even before trial. So like, I don't know what I did, but you know, we, 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 we still did. Okay. So, I mean, I think, I think that's, that's a hell of a story and it kind of goes back to, to you kind of jumping from being an engineer to being more of a people person. And like you said, you like to sell and you like to to get that integration with a person one on one. So, I mean, you're talking about you got way more. Like, was that like the jury made that decision to give more or, or did you guys ask for more, even though your guy was screaming his neck and back and cursing people out in videos? You know, I mean, it, it's all in how you pitch things. Um, so. I had the argument on my side that this guy's a comedian. You know, his job is out here to sell laughs mm -hmm. and he's just using this as an opportunity to sell laughs. You know, if, if, if you're not laughing, somebody's going to be laughing at you. So why don't you laugh together? And that, like that, that was my pitch. And I guess enough of the jury members, you know, bought into that, which like we still had medical records and doctors like saying, yes, he's objectively hurt. Like, there's objectively these diagnoses, these problems, these things that he went through, you know, it obviously the defense was like, no, he's a dirty liar. He's just stealing. He's like, you know, the, the scum of the earth. Mm -hmm. So there, there's two sides to that perspective. But I was just able to, you know, through everything, I was like, don't just look at one piece of the puzzle. You know, you can look at one piece of the puzzle, but if you don't look at all of it, you don't look at the totality of the circumstances, mm -hmm. you're kind of just selling yourself short. And that, that was enough to, to sell the deal to the jury. And the jury of 12 people made the decision to, you know, they didn't give me what I wanted because I asked for, you know, I, it's kind of like the used car deal. I, I'm going to go in super high. I know they're going to go in super low and hopefully the jury maybe comes somewhere in the middle or above. Very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, I, I think you're not the stereotypical lawyer. I mean, every time someone thinks of a lawyer, usually sometimes it's always some negative connotation. And and, 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 and this story that I'm, I'm about to tell, right, you're a lawyer that people like. And the way I, I want people to understand, like I, I saw this post and again, you were in a B&I group, a networking group. And I want you to think about this as the listener. Ha, have you ever been in a networking group with a lawyer and someone next to you is drawing a picture of a dog biting someone's hand. And it's, it's, it's a comical situation to where that lawyer is made into a light saying, OK, you need to contact this lawyer if this happens to you. So I want you to kind of talk about that. I mean, obviously, you also do dog bites as well, too, as something that you cover. But more importantly, like, how are you leveraging like your networking and being that likable lawyer that most people don't like lawyers? I mean, that's the one thing that I think so many people forget, especially in the, the current, you know, digital age that we're in, you know, obviously digital presence is huge. Digital marketing is huge. Digital advertising is huge, but you also still need to have that, you know, Southern hospitality, so to speak, that homegrown of like being able to, you know, extend your hand, shake somebody's hand, look them in the eye 
and talk to another person. Um, I do a lot of in-person networking. Mm -hmm. It's it's difficult. It's time consuming. But generally, you do business with people that you know, like and trust. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as much as you may interact with somebody, whether it's email, whether it's through a video chat, whether it's through phone or whatever, you know, whether it's through TikTok or DMs or, you know, there's any number of ways you can digitally interact with somebody. It still doesn't, you know, leap in front of a personal one-on-one -on -one interaction with somebody where you really get to know another person. And so that's how we just try to develop so much is making those connections with people because people do business with people. That's why B&I is such a big thing. Like I, I, I do that networking. I do a lot of different networking groups, but it's all about leveraging your position, your personality, who you are, because yes, I have a law firm. My business practices law. But people don't generally come for the business. They come for, for me or the people that are in the firm. That's, that's who makes up the business because without the people, you don't have anybody. Hmm. So I, I, think, I think that that's great philosophy. And I think that that kind of tells people a little bit more about who you are and, and what you're doing for your clients. And I saw another post that was like very fascinating. And this is a post that I, I usually don't see from a lawyer, right? So those that are familiar with like the publisher clearinghouse sweepstake checks, the giant checks or the giant lottery checks, and you're holding it, you're like, yeah, I just won $500,000. You guys have started doing that with some of your clients. I think with the check that I saw was a guy holding up a check, the biggest smile on his face was $75,000. Like, again, who came up with that marketing genius idea to recycle that concept? So, I mean, again, that's of us trying to be different. Now, are there other attorneys out there doing that? Absolutely. And on the flip side, there's other attorneys that hate that. You know, yeah. they think that it's tacky or that it's, you know, being an ambulance chaser. Obviously, I'm not out there like hustling and like knocking on, you know, hospital rooms of trying to get people to sign up. That's not what I want to do. But I also want to make it fun. Like you, especially what side note, just business in general. One of the big problems with lawyers is lawyers don't run their business like a business. They just run it like a hobby. You know, their their law firm is where they get their 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 love, their joy, their satisfaction, their their personal endearment. And that's not what a business is for. A, a business is there to serve and help people. Well, when you start thinking of a law firm as a business, you open up so many other doors and avenues and opportunities. And then you can see things from a different perspective. So when it comes to clients, I don't necessarily see a client as just a one-off. You know, you you why I hope, I hope that, you know, if if you're in an accident and you you hire me to represent you, I hope that's the only time that you're ever going to have that set of circumstance. Mm -hmm. But as you know, because of the area we live in, this is Atlanta. So like let's face it, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when your next accident's gonna happen. So then when you start looking at things as far as a lifetime value of a client, all of a sudden now, like you market to your former clients as well. It's not just, oh, it's one and done and I hope to never see you again. It's, oh no, now you're a part of like my firm's family. Like you're, you're now a part of the Georgia trial attorney's family. I want to follow up with you. I want to stay in touch with you. I want to tell you about our current and ongoing successes. So that way, you know, when that time comes, you have the confidence to come back to me because you still see I'm delivering the same results that I delivered to you in the past. And just, you know, it's, it's, it's marketing, it's development. It's just making sure that everything works together and it's an actual business, not just a hobby.
you know, I, I'm happy you brought that that point up because I mean, obviously, you know, like with my background, you know, I have a degree in graphic design and web design, and I always say it's like a gift and a curse going to school. Going to school, like they learn, you learn how to push buttons, you learn how to do that particular trade, but they do not teach you business, they do not teach you sales, they do not teach you how to marketing. And I think for you, I think on another podcast, you were talking about the biggest thing that you ever did that is granted to your current success was you guys hired a coach. You hired a business coach to kind of help you analyze and move you into the right direction, which I ideally I think what more lawyers should do. So I want you to talk about that. Like how did that really benefit you? Like what did you really get out of dealing with a coach one-on-one? Man, I mean, there's so many disciplines that are out there, especially in like the service industry. You know, when you think of like the legal profession or CPAs or any number of, you know, occupation that's providing a service, so many of those businesses, they aren't businesses. Like it's really not run like a business. And people get into their heads, you know, and think that, oh, I'm this licensed professional and I, I need to know everything and I need to be the smartest person in the room and I need to know how to do everything. And that's not the case. I mean, you, you look at like Jeff Bezos, he built a machine that runs without him. That should be kind of what you're trying to design is something that runs without you that still delivers a high level of service. But Jeff's not picking up the phone like he's not doing customer support. He's built a system that delivers high quality results with people that are better than him in that given role. So that was one thing that my business partner and I, Mark, we're like, all right, we have to figure this out. Um, when we started the firm in January of 2015, I mean, I tell everybody, we were two idiots. We had no clue what we were doing. Like we were just two dudes hanging out in this basement with no clients, no referral sources, like no marketing, no plan, nothing. So we're just like, oh, we got a law firm. This is great. And I mean, we luckily started to piece it together, but even the first couple of years of having a lot of success and growing the firm, you know, 40, 60, 80% year after year, the first couple of years, that's great. But when you're hopping from fire to fire to fire to fire and working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, that's, that's not the lifestyle that you want to have as a business owner and entrepreneur, um, especially in the legal field. In my field, there are so many attorneys and I, I try to talk with some of them. I, I can't talk with all of them, but you know, some of them try to wear this badge of honor of, oh, it's 1130 at night or it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm in the office working on my client's case. Uh -huh. That's not a badge of honor. Like if you have a family, that means that you're weighing your family below your business and your clients. Like that's, that's not okay. I don't want you as my attorney if you're prioritizing like what, when do I know that that's going to flip and that's going to switch? Like that's, that's not, you, you don't have a business to then be a slave to your business. Uh -huh. You, you start a business so that the business works for you. Uh -huh. Obviously you want to deliver high results, deliver high customer service and build those processes and procedures in, but you, you don't start a business to, like I said, be a slave to your business, which I think so many of us fall into. And that's kind of where we were in those first three years. And we were looking around like, we've got to do something. Something has to change. Something has to give. And that's where we you know, found coaching. We looked into it. We're like, yes, this is exactly what we need. And we, we jumped in wholesale. And that's where everything changed for us. Just having 
an outside perspective. There are so many professionals that are out there that come from different businesses, different avenues, different, whether it's you know the executive function, the financial function, the marketing function, the operations function. There's so many different parts of a business and so many experts in those given fields to where they can say, well, you know, you're stuck in the trees, but you're not looking at the whole forest or the exact opposite and just giving you perspective as a business owner, not just somebody that's trying to, you know, hustle market sell. Hmm. I think you know, like one key word that you said out, out of everything you said, and everything you said was definitely powerful. But I think one thing that I want to hone in on was you said like you guys jumped into wholesale. Now, wholesale and lawyers are two words that we like we usually don't hear. Like you hear wholesale, you hear clothes, you hear merchandising, you hear real real estate. But what do you what do you mean by wholesale in, in, in the legal sense of, of things? As far as the coaching, I guess, is that what you in my, as my comment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to like, so like you said, you, you jumped in on wholesale, so it was like more so like a wholesale model. I mean, like no, no, no. So I, what, when I mean wholesale, I mean like we jumped, we played all in. Like we we jumped okay. into the into this. Um, when when you start trying to take on coaching, you can't just like dip your toe in the 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 kiddie pool. You have to you know jump into the deep end. You got to start swimming with the big fish and you know doing things that the the big yeah. fish and the sharks do. You know, if you don't start acting like that and taking that direct action, you're you're not going to do it. Same thing like with marketing. Well, what's going to work better? The perfect content that takes you six months to work out or the content that sucks but still drives traffic? Like, yeah, what are you going to do? Are you going to post something or are you just going to think about it for six months? You can just do it. Start somewhere yeah. and then you can start to adapt and change. But if you never start, you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah, I mean, the adapted and change thing is something that I think people like they hold back for perfection and reality. If you put something that that's imperfect, like that, that has issues with it, you would get so much feedback really quickly. You may get some negative reviews, but at least you could take that and change and modify and then make that product way more perfect than it ever would have been if you were just doing it by yourself. So I definitely think that, that that's a solid point that I want the listener to kind of hone in on with, that you just brought up. I definitely appreciate that. So yeah. another thing you brought up too was just like time, you know, wanting to have time. So I want to kind of talk about like, like your downtime for, for a minute. And obviously going into the nerd side of your, of your other side of your brain. And I think earlier I had read something about you talking about playing magic. Now, most lawyers that I know don't play magic. So I want you to kind of talk about like, how do you leverage like the world? Of, and people that don't know what magic is, magic is a card game that could take you into a whole other universe and you could play this thing for hours on end. So obviously you have to have time to play this game, but I want you to talk about like, are you using anything that you do in magic in your law right now? You know, I mean, well, I'm sure there's some correlation that you could make, but it's just one of those things like, yes, I'm an inner nerd. Like my business partner, I, Mark and I, we're both nerds. We have different things that we're into, but yeah, like I like the nerdy card game magic. And it's it's also one of those hobbies where, you know, you also have to have some financial backing to do it. So it's also good that I have a job that's able to provide, you know, for me and my family, because sometimes these cards are super expensive, especially if you want to be competitive at it as well. Um, so, you know, just being able to, you know, build the toys that I want to play with the toys that I have and know that the, the law firm is still going to be working, even though I may, you know, leave at whatever time so I can go to Friday Night Magic and play with a bunch of other nerds that are half my age. Like, okay, yeah. But it's, you know, you, you have to find out what 
what drives you? You know, what, what are your personal goals? What are your professional goals? What are your financial goals? And you have to quantify those. And I think so many times as entrepreneurs and business owners, when it, when it comes to those three things, we, we say things that, you know, we could always get out of, oh, I want to lose weight or I want to be healthy or I want to make more money or any number of things. Well, I have no clue what that means. I have no objective standards. So, you know, if, if I go, you know, strap on a trash bag and like, you know, sweatpants and everything and go run around the block like I used to do when I was in high school for like a wrestling meet and I lose a bunch of weight. Well, guess what? I achieved that metric, but like, it's not healthy. It's not doing me any good, but I still achieve success. So you have to be able to quantify those metrics of success and then build a business that gets you there. Hmm. You know, if, if you, if you don't have a family and if, you know, you, you don't want to spend a lot of time and like you get joy out of doing the work, well, then you can work those longer hours. You know, you can build a firm where you are integral to being there, but other people may have, well, you know, I want to pick my kids up from school every single day. <laughs> that's, that's what I do. That's what I've built with a firm. So, you know, it's, it's figuring out what your metrics of success are, putting them on paper and building a business that gets you there. Not just saying, well, these are my hopes and this is where I want to get. No, you let, let's, <laughs> let's build a business that gets you there. Very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, I'm just listening to you. I mean, obviously I can see like your, your right brain, your left brain, they're always in communications. They're all, it's always like a balancing act within your mind. So if you could choose just three to five words, right. And this may be a little bit difficult because again, you're, 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 you're kind of 50, 50 on left and right. Right. What three to five words would you pick that can define you? Ooh, that's a good one. Define me. Yeah. So, all right. Um, I really need to start inserting the Jeopardy music. I'll explain them as I go. All right. Um, so I think the first one is going to be dedicated. And dedicated, I think it's 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 a tough word. And a lot of people use it to kind of just say, oh, well, I, I'm dedicated to my clients or I'm dedicated to a process. But dedication with metrics, I think, means so much more. So almost everything that I try to do, whether it's those three categories, personal, professional, financial, I try to operate on those metrics and dedicate myself to, all right, I'm going to achieve this. It's not if, it's just a matter of what am I going to do to get there? So when it comes to, to my clients, to my family, to those that I interact with, I'm going to be dedicated. And when I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, I'll say dedication. I'll say, man, this is, this is a tough one. You, 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 you got, you got some good questions. All right. Um, nor normally by that spiel, I can come up with some others, but I didn't. Um, I mean, that, that's what this podcast is about, man. I like, I, I don't like to be the standard podcast. I want, I want to get inside your mind and let you be a hundred percent you. So yeah, man, I'm, I, I'm all about it. Um, also I'm going to say observant. Hmm. I think that's another lacking quality so many times. Um, so many times we're focused on us uh -huh. and I was, I was hearing a conversation the other day of an example of this is, you know, if I ask you, Hey, um, I'm having a barbecue next, or I'm having a barbecue. You want to come? Uh -huh. Well, most of the time when it comes to men, men are going to ask like three questions of like, who's going to be there? 
<laughs> and you know when is it and what time is it and then the fourth question is going to be well what can i bring whereas generally again i'm making generalities but generally if you ask a woman some of those questions maybe the second or third question is going to be what can i bring and that question is the the first three that the men typically ask are selfish questions though those are those are self-interested questions the fourth question actually benefits Mm -hmm. the, the person that's asking you. So it's like, how do we switch this to be observant to where I'm looking out for other people and I'm not just looking out for myself? Because if I'm acting selfishly so much, that's obviously going to be problematic because I'm not looking out for others. And that's one thing I try to be very cognizant of is being observant of what others are seeing and mm -hmm. doing, dealing with. So that way I can try to help them as opposed to just asking and taking. Mm -hmm. um, so dedicated, observant, and then... I'm I'm gonna go with the hokey of strong. I'm 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 trying I'm trying to be a, a novice strongman. I got my first strongman competition next month, so nice. you know I got I got to be throwing some weights on in the back and pumping some iron here. Nice, nice. So I mean, talking about strongman, I mean that's it's so funny that you made that segue for me, right? I want to talk about two different things. Obviously, I seen a video and you were squatting 420, right? First of all, right, you, you squatted 420 pounds. And second of all, you're in your home gym right now. So I want you to kind of talk about like how often are you at your home gym, and and, and what is your goals for as far as lifting? Like, what are you trying to do with that? So this is kind of a product of COVID, just because when you know COVID happened, like everything stopped. You know, you weren't necessarily able to go to gyms. I have a gym that's close. It's probably you know a mile or two miles from my house. But once we started building our home gym, it was like, this is just, it's so convenient. It's so easy. And yeah, I mean, it, it can get expensive, but if you just start with the basics of like a squat rack and some weights, you can do a whole lot of stuff. Um, I mean, there are others out there that have way nicer home gyms than what I have, but like this definitely gets the job done and it's able to, you know, provide the flexibility where I can wake up. I wake up early. I'm, I'm an early riser. I get up at five o'clock in the morning but I get my workout in and then I'm able to take the kids to school. And then, you know, me and my wife, we have some time together as well. She goes to work and, you know, it gives us the ability to dedicate times to ourselves, to get, dedicate times to our family. And that way we're not just running around crazy driving from gyms and other places. Um, as far as it comes like where, where the motivation is, motivation is in, in the metrics. I've, I've got this competition that I set out because I started, only started working out what I mean, we're September. So 11 months or yeah, 11 months ago, I started working out. I hadn't, you know, background, I guess, you know, like I worked out in college and stuff, but I, you know, once I, once you get married and have kids, I don't know how people do that for the first couple of years. Like that was super difficult. So like there was none of that happening, but now my kids are four and two. So I've got a little bit more time back and we're like, all right, you know, I'm gonna get back. I'm gonna do this competition. I'm gonna build up and then reevaluate because I, I need to have something that I want to go after. I'm obviously <clears throat> never going to be a world's strongest man. I understand that. I don't, I don't have the genetics. I don't have the height. I don't have the strength for that, but I can still compete. I can still have fun at my levels where I am. And so that's, that's what I want to do. You know, hmm. I think you brought up another solid point about, you know, being married and having to give up things. And it kind of goes back to me doing my due diligence. And it, it was a video you were talking about. Um, you had to give up your Porsche, right? <laughs> so, I mean, obviously anyone that, that, that loves cars and, and obviously I'm a car lover. I love motorcycles as well, too. 
I, I know your heart had to sink down south, right? But I mean, obviously, what, what what is your plan for probably getting back into cars? Are you thinking about getting into that down the road? And again, obviously, you're a personal injury person. So like, how does that kind of make you kind of sway one way or the other? So, yeah, the, I, I go back and forth on that. Um, you know, I, ha- I had a, a Porsche Cayman S and I, I love that sucker. That was when I was single. It was great. But you know, then when you get married, you have kids, you're like, you can't put a car seat in the trunk. Like that's frowned upon. Obviously no one's going to like that. Like I'm the, you know, daycare school, they're not going to be okay. If I pop the trunk, Oh, James, get out. It's time to go to school. Like, no, that, that that's not going to work. And I didn't just want to let a car sit. Like if, if I was going to own a car like that, I wanted to drive it. And, you know, being dad and like having multiple car seats and stuff like that, it just wasn't going to work. So I was like, all right, you know, We'll, we'll get rid of the Porsche, you know, I'll get something that's more, you know, family friendly. And then obviously we can uh, evaluate to your point, since I've been in the personal injury, you know, field for that much longer and seen a lot more. Also, I've through coaching have acquired a little bit more understanding of, you know, developing wealth and financial acumen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a depreciating asset. And yes, it can be fun. Everybody like, wherever you enjoy fun and get fun, like that's fine. Like there's a lot of people to get fun in those things. I haven't, I, it's been several years since I've had one. So, you know, that's different. Maybe I'm not going to throw money in a depreciating asset, at least right now, but it could change. Obviously technology is changing as well. I mean, I was in my buddy's Tesla the other day and I mean, those suckers are fast. Yeah. It's so it's, you know, you, I don't know. It's 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 changing and different. I don't I don't know. I don't know where where the future holds or what the future holds for me when it comes to another vehicle. But you know, for right now, I'm I'm okay being you know the, the soccer dad. <laughs> I, I think it's funny you're a soccer dad, but I mean you're you're a character as well too. I mean, obviously, like you're a ball of energy. You're, you're like an atom just waiting to, to to break out. So I want to know a little bit more about like your partnership with you and Mark because obviously I, I've done hundreds of these interviews and usually the partnerships are polar opposites. There's some similarities, but you know, one person is like the, the TV giant and the other person is like the behind the scenes guy with the lights off and the dark coding. So, I mean, like what, what is your partnership? Are you guys similar, different? And, and how does that chemistry work with you? Now, man, you, you hit the nail on the head. Mark and I are a thousand percent opposite and it is the perfect partnership because of that. You know, we're, we're generally on two opposite ends of the spectrum, but when we talk things through, we kind of end up in the middle. Um, you know, I'm more of the, the outgoing, the, you know, sales and marketing face. Mm-hmm. So that's why I handle sales and marketing. Mark handles production and finance. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that, like, I'm entirely removed from finance or that Mark's entirely re- removed from marketing, but we, we understand that we have to have roles within the company. We can't both do the same thing. Mm-hmm. No, no company should do that. If you have a partnership, you cannot be doing the same things. You have to delegate because then it gets into the issue of like mom and dad. Well, you know, like a kid, well, I'm going to go to mom and ask for this. And if I don't get a, what I want, I'm going to go to dad and ask, but not tell that I asked mom. Mm-hmm. We experienced that in our first couple of years because we would have employees do that, of you know, pit us against each other when we didn't even know that that was what was happening. So you, you've got to just divide and conquer like, say, this is your lane. You're going to stay here. You enjoy this. This is what you want. So just do that. And then we'll do our, you know, weekly or biweekly or monthly check-ins on certain things. But like, 
you're going to run this stuff. I'm going to run this stuff. And we're still going to be, you know, connected as far as what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you release that and let somebody else have autonomy in their role, they're going to thrive in their role and what they're doing. So, I mean, obviously, I think part of you hiring a coach has developed you as a leader and a developed markets leader as well, too. And you guys, I don't know which one of you guys came up with this this next concept we're about to talk about, but I think it's a very fruitful concept for any business owner to kind of take note about what you're about to talk about. And I want to talk directly about your your scorecards when you're doing interviews. And I want to know, like, like how did how did that come to come come to fruition? Like, you know, what's on this scorecard? I mean, is it like one to ten? Like, how does that actually work? And how has it benefited you where your business is today? Man, I mean, you you don't know what you don't know until you you find out, and that's like that's synonymous with business throughout all stages, and that's why coaching has helped us so much. Is you know, especially from the legal perspective. You, you go to undergrad, you get a four-year degree, you go to law school for three years, you study for and take the bar exam, and then you're a licensed lawyer. Mm-hmm. You can start taking cases. You can start representing people that have million-dollar claims, or you can start giving advice for people that are on their deathbed and uh, the, you know the tax implications of their multi-million-dollar estate. Like, it blows my mind how quickly somebody can immediately start practicing law and have no idea about business. I think the, the the state bars across the country really do a disservice because, I mean, a large part of attorneys are either at some point in their career going to be a very high level decision maker in a law firm or a business, mm-hmm. or they're going to own the business themselves. And none of us are trained on business ownership, entrepreneurship, financial controls, metrics, KPIs, like none of that stuff. So when you start running your business like a business, it's just, it's mind blowing how that works. And that's one of the things our coaches helped us with was hiring has to be so, so intentional. (laughs) You cannot leave really anything to chance. When you start making decisions based on, well, I like them, or I think they will work, or they tell me they have the qualifications, like those, that's all your subconscious. When your subconscious starts telling you things, nope, don't listen to that because it's, it's not, it's not objective. You have no basis for it. So when you start putting those objective metrics in place, that's how we came up with the scorecards with our coach and every scorecard's different. We never start with a scorecard first. The first thing we start with is, all right, what are the objective outcomes that we want this individual we're thinking of bringing on? What do we want them to deliver? So the first thing we'll come up with is a kind of, you know, what the objectives are and what the KPIs are, key performance indicators. So once we develop those, then we can develop the job description because now that we know, all right, these are the metrics of success. And then what skills do they need to get there? Mm-hmm. Now that we have the job description, then we can build the job ad because you, you have to sell the ad as well. I think a lot of businesses across the board do a bad job of that of, oh, we're just going to post the job ad. You kind of got to sell it because there's there's a lot of jobs that are out there. You want people to work for you, not just, oh, they happened to cross my ad. Mm-hmm. Um, so then once you have all of that, then we can develop the scorecard, which is breaking down different parameters 
of those things, whether it comes from the ad, whether it comes from the job description, whether it comes from the um, KPIs, the metrics of success. And we also build in some tests as well, as far as you know how they may accomplish certain things. Once we have all of that done, then we go to a cultural assessment. Um, we used to flip it. We, we messed up there because when you do the cultural assessment first, then you try to fit people in that maybe not are as qualified. So always culture is probably one of the biggest things, but you never want to do your cultural assessment until you first find out whether they have the technical proficiency to do the job. If you flip it, that's where things go off the rails because then you're going to try to pigeonhole somebody in that, well, because I like them, I think they'll do it. Nope. Hmm. Flip it. I, I'm just listening to you. I mean, it's, it's so profound. Like, I mean, obviously, like going in, into this episode, we could have been talking about trials, personal injury over and over. We were talking about it throughout, but I think you are such a a coach. You're becoming a coach. And I, and, and, and I like there's so many lawyers out there that, you know, obviously there's lawyers listening to this podcast, but I would say, have you thought about stepping into the space of educating other lawyers on what you have been able to achieve and where you were and where you are right now? Because, I mean, that's a journey. That's a handholding process that obviously can be monetized. I do that, but I don't do it for any gain. Um, with the coaching organization that I'm a part of, I, I talk with a lot of prospective members. And I feel like that provides a benefit because I was like, you know, I knew what I wanted, but I didn't know what the program was like until I was there, until I signed up. Um, so I've, I've worked with the program that I'm with to say, hey, you know, like put me in touch with people that are like asking questions. Like I'll give them an honest peek behind the curtain and say, you know, this is what it was like. This is where I came from. This is where I am today. This is where we're going. And this is all you know that's offered as opposed to, well, you can read the pamphlet and sign up and then you get it. I, so I, you know, I talk with several attorneys across the country every week. Number one, like it helps me build my network, yeah. but also I like helping people. I like telling people about that. And, you know, sometimes they join the program. Sometimes they join another program. Sometimes they don't do anything. But, you know, I I play a bit of an advisement role at times with, you know, different attorneys and business owners because it, it's all business, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. The second you think that you're a unicorn and that you're special or that your practice area is just so different, no, your your firm can be run just like anybody else's firm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'll just put it out there because, I mean, obviously you're you're a lawyer by trade right now. But if you ever decided to step into like the education side of things, I, I think you would be highly successful in that in that space as well, too, because the content that you're delivering most lawyers don't even look at it or have that perspective. And I'm generalizing. There's some lawyers out there that do. But collectively, the way your viewpoint is as, as law, as a business, but also as a service to help your clients is uniquely different in that space. So I definitely you know, commend you for that, for sure. Well, uh, I mean, I think that's one of the big things when it comes to a hiring decision. And this is across the board for any service interest. This is not just particularized to the legal field, but you can hire the best legal mind that's out there, but that may put you in a hole. That may be a problem. That may ruin your case or your set of circumstances because if they don't have the proper you know, policies and procedures and metrics and they're not running their business like a business, well, they may miss a deadline. Hmm. Your, your, your case may be dismissed. Your tax return may not be filed on time. It may have been the, you know, pinnacle of tax returns, but if it doesn't get filed, well, now you've got a problem. 
Hmm. So I, I always caution people of be careful of just hiring the best legal mind. Obviously, you, you want somebody that's qualified, but you, you want a true business owner that has set up everything so that you know that they're putting things in place, <laughs> that things are getting done as opposed to, well, I thought about it. I have the best argument in my mind, but it was just never translated to you. I think it's definitely interesting. I mean, uh, talking about setup, and I mean, you you seem to be coming across as a very system oriented guy, right? I mean, you like to have your domino set up and know what the end result is going to be as you hit the first domino. So I want you to kind of, and I know you're a sci-fi guy as well too. So I want you to kind of take yourself from now, go into a parallel universe. You're time traveling back. You are a kid. You're amongst your your, your parents. I have to say this. I mean, one of them has to be an entrepreneur or some kind of business savvy individual because you're taking that information from generations before and you're bringing it forward now. Tell me I'm right. I don't think you're right. So the, the, where, where, where did it come from? You don't have an aunt or an uncle? Like, I mean, what kind of upbringing did you come with? So um, my mom was at home with me for, man, I think, I think my mom started working when I was probably in like, late elementary middle school um so i mean she was that, that was great you know being able to like come home and you know ha have her pick me up from school or pick me up from the bus like you know there's a place for that there's also a place for it to be different so that my my set of circumstances is not to say that this has to be across the board or this is expected but it was it was nice looking back to like have mom at home um my dad is a golf professional by trade um he is in my mind the best you know, he, he was a three-time All-American at Houston. Um, he was a low amateur in the Masters in the late 60s. He's played with you know, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicklaus, a lot of the greats. Um, so he played on the tour for a few years um, and then realized that, you know, he was going to go into just teaching. So he's been a golf professional on the teaching side for years. I mean, well, decades now at this point. Um, so... <laughs> Yes, he was kind of an entrepreneur, he, but he was self-employed and he just taught for a living at a golf course. Not just a short sell and say that wasn't anything crazy, but like he wasn't out, you know, like Tiger Woods winning golf tournaments and yeah. stuff like that. His his last major that I caddied for um, was in 99 in Des Moines, Iowa. Now that was like the coolest thing ever for like, you know, you know, the son to caddy for his father in a golf tournament. That was super cool. But like since then, you know, he teaches for a living. So, I mean, I mean, obviously your, your dad was, was your vision of a superhero and he's probably still is to this day. I mean, obviously you, you're not seeing him as an entrepreneur. You're seeing him more as like, like a, a role model, which obviously I think it's a hell of a thing to have going into that, that now that you have your own family. So I want you to kind of talk about like those experiences as a kid versus now, like your wife is a lawyer and you're a lawyer. How the hell do you guys co-mingle and juggle and, and how are you performing as a superhero with your kids? Man, it's uh, it's interesting because like we'll go on double dates with friends and stuff and they'll just look at us and be like, what are y'all talking about? I mean, so it's just funny because we don't think that we're anything different or that we're interacting on a different level. But it's, you know, just th to hear other people like looking on our conversations and stuff, it's, you know, they're like, y'all are at another level. Y'all are crazy. Y'all are talking about stuff that's just ridiculous. So, you know, we we, we don't do the same area of law. You know, she's in kind of like the healthcare staffing side of things and I'm on the personal injury side of things. So we're still able to come home. We're still able to talk about work a little bit and not be talking about the same thing. Mm. Um, several people ask me like, 
you know, is your wife ever going to come to work with you? Nope, not a chance. That ain't, you know, that's us. Again, other people are able to do that. I don't think we would work well together. We would probably kill each other because, no, number one, that's going to be three people as opposed to two because that'll be me, Mark, and Meredith, my wife. Like, that's just stirring yeah. too much. Mark and I got a good thing going. That's my second marriage. Yeah. I got one marriage here. I got another marriage there. I don't need to mess with that. We don't, we don't need to throw that triangle in there. But I mean, it's, you know, we, we try to have fun with it. We try to, you know, leave work at, at work. And when we're at home, we're at home. Um, that took some learning that took, you know, some time and trying to figure out how that worked. But once we got to the point where, you know, truly you're able to leave work at work, that's allowing you to be pressed so much mm-hmm. with family. You're, you're not present. You know, you may be stuck on your phone and you're sitting there and your son's asking you five questions and you hear the sixth. Well, you know, obviously things happen, things come up, but like, if that's the day to day, like what message are you sending to your kids of, well, am am I really there for you? Am I really listening? Like, am I really tuned in? Because what you do, they see, they replicate. So we always try to be really cognizant and mindful of what are we doing and what example we're showing. So that way, our kids don't replicate those bad traits that we either don't think about or don't look at or don't you know assume that are not being seen. Very interesting. I mean, I'm just just listening to to like all the value that you're delivering today. I mean, you're you're like a mosh pit of so many different like motivational books, business books, legal information, all collective into one. So this next question is is obviously I think you're you're well versed and educated. Do you have a book, a go-to book that you can re- recommend that you recall reading or reading more than once over your course of your journey to get you to where you are right now? There's not necessarily one book. I mean, there because there, there, there's so many different things you can read at different times and different places. Um, when I, when I look at it, I think like, there, there, there's just, there's, there's a lot. So it's, you know, I, Mark is different than me. Mark will read the same book over and over and over and over and over, which I think there's benefit to that as well. I also think that there's benefit to, as you grow, you find different books because you are now in different rooms and different places and different stations in life. Whereas, you know, if I had read a, you know, I financially geared book you know, 10 years ago, it wouldn't have had any meaning for me because I wasn't in a place to accept it. So understanding that you develop and go, that's one part of it. But probably the most, you know, non-religious book that I would say that I would advocate for is Ted, you know, The Empowerment Dynamic. Like that book is probably the best book that everyone can read over and over again. That's one of those few books to get you thinking about Number one, how you think about what you're thinking about, mm-hmm. how you're conveying information to others, how you're receiving information from others, and just how you're interacting with people, because that's really what life is so much about, is interacting with other people and understanding what people are saying and what they're hearing and what you're saying. Hmm. Hmm. So, I mean, with that, I mean, obviously, your brain, right? And it kind of go back to you being 50% analytical, 50%, you know, creative and i could definitely see that in you have you thought about assembling all these different facets of yourself and creating a book that you can kind of deliver to your clients i mean not until you said it so i mean 
I've, I've been on a handful of podcasts. I, I, I don't know necessarily that I, I feel like I have a ton to offer. I've heard that I have things to offer. So I'm glad to share information. Um, but obviously, if there's demand for it, I would be willing to you know, provide that demand and supply. Well, I mean, I, I made this point before. I mean, obviously, in the world that we live in, we're, we're closing in on 8 billion people, right? And then in the U.S., there's 300 million people, right? And, and, and think how massive the U.S. is versus the entire world, right? In Georgia, there's a fraction of that. And then, again, you have a fraction of that as well. So this is, say, you have 0.001% of the global population that are spending money with you right now, that are listening to you right now, that are your clients right now, that you're helping, you're saving, you're closing cases, making millions of dollars for them right now, I, I think you have an audience <laughs> that's more than willing to listen to, to what you have. Or at, at the bare minimum, like you said, you're, you're coaching other lawyers, put them into that bubble. So I, 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 I'm a big component of books. I, I've authored many books. And I always like to say, if you don't have a book, you should. And I think you definitely should have for obvious reasons. Well, I appreciate it. Yep. Yep. So talking about like, like your clients, I mean, obviously we talked about you do personal injury, you do car accidents. If, if a neighbor's dog bites you, all of those things you cover. Right. So let's talk about well, like, so, so it's, it's a little different actually. We're, um, I've used the term earlier of unicorn and generally no one's a unicorn. There are not many people that do what we do in the way that we do it. Um, if there are, I'm willing to talk with them and I want to know others that are like me, but I'll give you the kind of the 50,000 foot fly review of the way things typically work mm -hmm. and the way our business model is actually geared. Okay. When most people hear personal injury, you know, they think of that like sleazy, you know, ambulance chaser that's like running behind the ambulance trying to like hop in. Um, there are a vast majority of law firms that that's the model that they fall into of they want to be a B2C, a business to consumer or client or customer, that's the business model that they want to engage in because they, they want to you know, market to individuals that are you know, hair on fire, they were just in an accident, they need to make a decision quickly, or they want to do the branding of you know, setting themselves up and fishing upstream so that people know about them when that time comes and they know who to call. You know, that's the, the vast majority of the 99% of personal injury attorneys, they're, they're B2C. They're going after clients that are injured or recently injured or looking to switch attorneys or any number of things, but they've been in an accident. And that's what we call pre-litigation. You know, you're able to get them into treatment, set them up with doctors, make sure that they get better, recover. Then once they get from the, done with the doctor, get their records, their bills, the police report, the, the video, the dash cam you know, cameras around the, uh, the streets, you know, figure out how much money they missed in time from work and, you know, taking off and, you know, what their total out-of-pocket expenses are and all that stuff, you know, categorize all those things and send that off to the insurance company and what we call a demand letter. Uh -huh. The vast majority of personal injury cases are going to settle after that initial demand letter is sent, whether it's the insurance company saying, here, this is our policy limits, you know, this, this is all the money we have, we're done or, you know, well, the, the policy limits are a hundred, but we'll give you, you know, 67 and okay, we agree on 74 and the case is done. You know, that's the vast majority. Most cases are resolved at that level. And that's what we call pre-litigation. The next phase of a case is litigation. That's instances where the insurance company either doesn't give us any money or doesn't give us money that is, you know, something that the client's willing to accept or something that's fair. Uh -huh. 
that happens, then we have to file a lawsuit. You have to file a lawsuit against the person that caused the accident. Also, that's a kind of misconception that most people have is, you know, if I rear end you, you have a claim against me. The way that works is you make a claim against my insurance. My insurance is USAA. So you're going to make a claim against USAA. Then in the event that we don't reach a settlement, USA doesn't give you a fair number, or you just don't like the number, you can file a lawsuit. But if you file a lawsuit, you can't sue USAA because USA didn't do anything to you. I'm the person that did something wrong to you. I'm the one that caused the accident. So you have to file a lawsuit against me personally, but then like USA is the puppet master in the background. They're pulling all the strings. They're gonna hire the attorney to represent me. You're still gonna negotiate with USAA, but it has to look like you're suing me because I'm the one that did something wrong. So that's the next phase. And that's where our business model starts. Mm. So we are not a B to C firm. I don't actually market and want to go after clients that are recently injured in a car accident. Mm -hmm. I have referral partners and I, I, I want to get them set up, but that's part of our model that's different is we only want to handle litigation. We have set up a very good system and policies and people and processes to effectuate that litigation process from beginning to end. So I'm a B2B business. I'm actually looking to meet other law firms, other law, you know, other lawyers and help them to make more money faster and with less stress. You know, that's my offering because I can take that aspect of litigation away from them, which it's, it's actually really cumbersome and really difficult because the way you run a pre-litigation law firm is entirely different than the way you run a litigation law firm. And if you're trying to do both, you can do both. There are firms that are very successful doing both, but you have to have one business model here. You have to have an entirely different business model here, but most firms try to use the same people to do both things and it really just doesn't work well. So what our pitch is, is, hey, we've got this process. We get very good results. We can take this away from you, run it faster and better and more efficient and get you a higher dollar amount and then you're going to save the time and money from not having to do, do the overhead, not having to run that part of your business. And then you just get to focus on what you're good at, which is marketing, sales, and getting those pre-litigation clients and getting their cases resolved that way. So that way you can grow your business even more as opposed to effectively having to run two businesses. And then I also get to say, I'm not competing with you. I'm not going after your clients. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't want your clients, so to speak, as far as the people that you're trying to, you know, get uh, after that just got in an accident. That's where we see our differentiation or our UVP, our, our unique value proposition, is that we're not competing with our referral partners. We mm -hmm. are just looking for other law firms that are like the firms that we have. <laughs> we just want to know other people that can send us cases, and we can help them do more with less and in less time. Well, first of all, I mean, just hearing you define that, that's a sexy model. It, 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 it's, it's a model that, that I, 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 like I love. I love hearing like you're more of a B2B model, right? Versus the B2C, because again, that makes you completely not the ambulance chaser. Like that's out the equation whatsoever. Because now you're, you're dealing with more corporations that have more clients that can then deliver those results to you. And one thing that you said, and I want you to kind of clarify that, right? So let's say you were in me, and I'm going to sue you, but your insurance company is backing you, you lose the case, who's cutting the check? 
is it you or is it the insurance company? The insurance company. And that's the way insurance works. So whoever your insurance company with, and you know, you sign the dotted line with the insurance company, you don't sign anything physically anymore. It's all, you know, you're, you're clicking the box on your phone. But when you enter that contract with the insurance company, the way it works is, all right, I'm going to pay progressive mm-hmm. and they're going to take my money every month and they're going to provide insurance for me. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also an exchange. So by me providing them money and by them providing coverage, I also agree that when I do something wrong and I hurt somebody or I cause an accident, I give them progressive 100% decision-making control of that case. Mm. I can't do or say anything too progressive as far as what happens. They have 100% control because they're the ones cutting the check. You know, whatever the settlement is, progressive is going to be running that. They're going to be paying it. They're going to be having everything to do with it. I'm just the face. That's it. I think that that goes to a really, really interesting point that that I picked up from another podcast that you did as well, too. And as far as you being potentially annoyed with insurance companies being greedy and that you guys are kind of stepped into that space. So I want you to kind of like talk about that since, you know, your last statement was about the insurance companies is like, like, like how are you battling that and, and, and how successful have you been in that battle? Man, I mean, it's, you know, I I like to use, because I feel like a lot of people at least know the story. If you don't know the story, I'll give you the, the quick version. But I use the Bible story of David versus Goliath. You know, David was this little young man. Goliath was this like nine foot tall giant that was, you know, a, a warrior. And David was able to defeat him. So many times that is what we're doing when it comes to car accidents and personal injury cases. Is this David versus Goliath? You know, the personal injury firms and the client, that's David and the insurance companies, Goliath. You know, these insurance companies are gigantic. They are multi-billion dollar a year corporations. Like this is not just like, you know, you're going down to the, the, the local grocery store that's, you know, not Kroger or Publix or, you know, any of the name. Like this is, this is not a mom and pop shop. These are giant conglomerates and they're in the business of making money. And that's what they want to do. You know, we buy insurance, we're required to by law. I think that's the biggest racket on the face of the planet is that, you know, if you can get the government to require people to purchase your product, like that's the greatest business model on the face of the planet. I mean, we're required by law to have insurance. I think in every state, but like one or two in the U.S. where we have to have insurance. It's required by law and you have to pay them but you don't have to get the results that you want. They don't have to deliver what you think is fair. They just deliver what they think is fair. And then if you want to fight them, then you have to go through the, you know, the lawsuit process, which is, you know, that that's tough. That's time consuming because, you know, people don't understand timelines as well generally because most people like one or two accidents is what they're going to have in their entire life. So I see hundreds of them all the time. And, the way it works is if I'm I'm representing you, you're in an accident. You come to me and let's say that you have, you know, your case is worth $50,000 that I think. And we agree that we think your case is worth $50,000. And if we send a demand to the U, um, to USAA and say, hey, you know, you, your driver caused this accident. We think this case is $50,000. Well, USA is going to be like, great. That's what you think. We think the case, uh, and they, they'll evaluate. They'll say, on the worst day 
in the worst county with the worst jury under the worst set of circumstances, we think this case is worth X dollars. Now, they're never gonna tell us that. We're never, ever, ever gonna find out what they think that that case is actually worth on, in their eyes, but they have to set by law a reserve. So whatever that number was, they have to set that money aside in a reserve account. Well, once we know that's happened, looking at it from a business perspective, well, what's the smart thing to do? Is the smart decision to give you that money today or is the smart decision to fight you to delay this case, to string it out, to invest that reserve money over one, two, three, four years, you know, draw those dividends, you reinvest those premiums and, you know, keep making money and then pay you 30. Well, yeah, obviously option B is the smart business decision, but that's what hurts so many people in the long run is because time wins mm. and the more the insurance companies beat down people and you know delay 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 all of a sudden people are like fine i'll take whatever i just want to be done and mm. unfortunately that's what happens and that perpetuates the whole cycle of they have all the money in the world and we're having to fight it to scrape it out of their hands i mean i think going back to your analogy and i think the one part of your analogy that you're missing in the equation is that you and your company are the rock in the slingshot <laughs> you guys are the leverage makers, right? I mean, you're you're the you're the, the the only reason why you can defeat that giant is 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 the combination of these two things coming together, right? And I mean, obviously, you guys are slingshotting that forward. So I, I definitely appreciate that analogy, and I want the listener to kind of really think about if they ever get into an accident to think about that. You by yourself as an individual is going up against a giant, and without having a slingshot with a, with a boulder in it, you're you're just not going to win. You're always potentially going to lose. So, I mean, going into 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 that that avatar, right? I mean, obviously, you're talking to law firms, and through the law firms, you're talking to their clients. What words of wisdom would you like to give to a listener that's listening? That potentially, again, everyone is going to be in a car accident sooner or later. But what steps should they take, and 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 what words of insight do you want to give to any lawyers that are particularly working on cases? Yeah, I mean, so we'll start off with the people that are in accidents. If, if you're in an accident, whether you think it's nothing or it's the most severe accident, they should all be treated the same. Don't short sell yourself. If somebody did something wrong and they harmed you, whether it's, you know, a tap on the bumper or, you know, your, your car was rolled over 17 times on the freeway, treat them the exact same because you, you deserve to be made whole. I'm not asking you to take advantage of the system. I'm not saying that you need to pull one over and commit insurance fraud. But like if somebody did something wrong to you, you need to be put back in the position you were before that accident. And so many times people are like, oh, you know, I'm fine. It's not a big deal. I'm OK. Well, a lot just happened. You were in an accident. That is not an everyday occurrence. You know, I've represented individuals that have been in five accidents in a span of just a few years like that can happen but even five accidents in over the course of you know six or seven years it's still pretty infrequent so it's you know it's a stressful situation your adrenaline is running a lot is happening and you don't know what you don't know you're not a doctor so always get checked out by a doctor after every single accident you never want to wait if you wait, it's a problem. The insurance company is going to look at you and be like, well, if you were really hurt, you would have gone to the doctor. I would much rather you go to the urgent care, go to your PCP. You know, if you have health insurance, great. It's probably going to be low cost. 
even if it's an urgent care, you know, max, you're probably going to be out $150. Sometimes that's a lot of money. Sometimes people can cover that. But if you, at least you can do that or get with an attorney that can help you with that, you know, there, there's a lot of ways for you to at least get treatment and get checked out to make sure that you're okay. I would rather you do that and be totally fine and get the money back from the insurance company, get, you know, a couple hundred bucks back. Great. We're fine. Not a big deal. As opposed to not getting checked out, finding out three months, four months later, you have a traumatic brain injury where now your case is worth probably hundreds of thousands of dollars, but now it's worth significantly less because you didn't do anything. You know, what happened in that three months is what the insurance company is going to say. Well, did you fall down the stairs? Did you hurt yourself? You know, what other things could have happened that could have caused this as opposed to, well, you went six hours after the accident to the doctor. Yeah, okay, we're probably going to have to be on the hook for this. You know, that's that's my push for everybody that's an accident is, pictures video doctor you know do everything do it right treat them all the same and it's going to help you in the long run <laughs> then when it comes on the other side to you know other attorneys that are out there that are handling personal injury cases is try to find somebody like me i i'm not you know the one-stop shop for everybody <laughs> but i think every personal injury law firm or at least the vast majority of personal injury law firms needs somebody that is very good and skilled and set up in that litigation aspect, just because it's going to make their business easier. You know, if you can take away, I'm just going to throw out a number, but let's say one third of a company's overhead and expenses is devoted to litigation and invest that money in marketing, you're going to grow your firm so much more uh -huh. by just putting that money into marketing as opposed to running this department which may be okay and may not be and if it's not okay then you're doing your clients a disservice and your former clients aren't going to be referring you cases yeah. whereas if you can find somebody that will litigate the cases for you and deliver those good results you're going to do better in the long run and it is a, an entrepreneurial way of thinking it is a business way of thinking because you're giving away a piece of something, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're losing something because you're not going to get the full amount of the fee. You know, we'll, we work a, a, on a fee split arrangement. We split the fee, but with that, you know, you're, you're giving away something. Yeah. But if you think of it in the big picture of, okay, well now I'm giving away something, but I'm gaining all this extra money for marketing. I know that my business is going to grow so much more and so much faster. And I'm going to be able to deliver better results on this phase of the case. I, I think that's just a smart decision for, you know, every, every personal injury law firm owner that's out there. Wow. Wow. Well, I think, I mean, with that, how, the, how do these individuals find you? Do you want them to contact you on your website, your social media platform? What's the fastest way to get to you? Man, you can get in touch with me anyway. I mean, if you send a Harry Potter owl to my house, I will figure out a way to communicate with you. So, you know, wh whether whether you want to go to my website, whether you want to go to Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, I mean, it doesn't matter. I am all out there. Hmm. Um, I mean, I enjoy TikTok a little bit more because you can have a little bit more fun with it. But I know a lot of platforms are going to those you know, short form videos. I mean, even YouTube switching the way they do things because TikTok's taking over the world. But yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you want to call me like our number, it's pretty easy. It's 833 for the win. So, you know, you can call me, you can go to our website, which is that same 833 for the wind.com. I mean, we're, we're, we're here, we're waiting, we're 
whether you want to you know refer me a case whether you want to work with me whether you want to just talk shop or whether you just want advice on your business i'll i'll talk with anybody and everybody that needs help or wants help or wants advice very cool very cool so i mean you brought up harry potter which kind of leads me to like a random bonus question and, and obviously looking at like your pictures and looking at your profiles obviously there's iron man there's spider-man there's captain america there's you brought up hulk earlier you brought up harry potter just now so this this is like the golden question i mean more important than anything else we talked about if you could be a superhero who would it be and why oh, spider-man no chance spider-man has been my guy from the beginning like it's just you know it's it, it's a it's a half realistic half entirely not realistic at all world and you know i'm i'm well deep in the comics like when, when I start talking to people about Spider-Man, no one knows what's actually going on in the Spider-Man world of like how there's clones and there's other people that are actually Spider-Man today. And it's not the Peter Parker Spider-Man anymore. Like it's 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 different, but I like it. So, I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of disappointed because, I mean, obviously with, with the pictures that, that, that you submitted for the podcast, it was Captain America and it was like Superman. I'm like, where, where's the Spider-Man? Like you got you got to go back to a photo shoot and get me some Spider-Man, man. I know no, no one makes those good uh, those good T-shirts like that. I, I haven't been able to find like a good Spider-Man T-shirt that doesn't have just like the entire Spider-Man. I want like the Captain America or Superman style uh, T-shirt. But I'll I go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we definitely got to reach out and, and and work on that. So I mean, going into like like another bonus question, and I think this will be a fun one for you. Um, if you could spend twenty four hours with anyone, right? This person could be dead or alive. You're gonna have twenty four hours uninterrupted with this person. Who would it be and why? And again, you can't pick your wife or any family members. I mean, there's you know, this is not a religious podcast, so I'm going to put the obligatory response out there. Like I, you know, if I had the option to spend time with Jesus, obviously that would be something I would do. Like no questions asked. That is not the purpose of this podcast. So when I'm, I'm thinking about everything and everyone that's been out there, one of the people that I would like to speak with, it's Alexander the Great. Mm. Um, I'm kind of a, you know, I'm not a history buff necessarily, but he was just one of those like trailblazers in his time of how he was able to build up such an empire mm. so fast that was able to take over so much. I mean, it was just... Um, it would, I mean, it would, it would just be crazy to just ask him questions and find out like what the perspective was like. And also we don't know what life was like back then. We have books, we have manuscripts, but you still don't know because, you know, you're, you're reading somebody else's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to talk about like your, your first, your first answer. I mean, you are not the first person to be on this podcast that has answered that particular question by saying Jesus. So, and it just, it just kind of like, it, it comes up you know pretty frequently right i mean obviously i, I would think if, if time travel was possible and an opportunity to sit down with someone of that caliber why not right why not so going into closing again i think you've been on multiple different podcasts you know how podcasts work so i'm going to give you an opportunity to run the boss and cage podcast the boss and cage show is now yours i'm your guest what questions do you have for me so if you have advice for anybody that's out there on any number of subjects, which subject would you pick? Wow. That one is, is extremely difficult. Um, and I think for me, collectively, 
the first thing that I would want to talk about with anyone and, and, and being that I'm a coach and I've been coach, the one thing that I think successful people are always collectively missing is the mindset. It's it start off with, with the mindset. I mean, obviously you can talk about marketing, we can talk about strategy, we can talk about building, scaling, all these different things. All those things are great, but if you don't have the right mindset in place to execute and take action on what you're going to be perceived and you may have to give up, you may have to make sacrifices, you may hit hurdles, and if your mindset is not equipped and ready and, and, and equated to what's going to possibly happen that may go wrong, then all this information is going to be useless. You're a smart man. I see it. Well, I definitely appreciate it. Do you have any other questions? Oh, I get more. I thought I just got one. No, I mean, it, it, it's it's your show. Oh, oh, all right. Well, well, buckle up, guys, because, well, I mean, we're here for another three hours. I mean, this is, <laughs> is going to be great. I get to be on not on the hot seat for once. I like that. Um, how did you find that the dynamic of being in so many different roles through your career has molded you into who you are? Oh, I mean, literally, I look at life as puzzle pieces, right? And it's kind of like the easy stuff, right? In life is finding the corners. So you find the corners, but then getting to the middle and finishing the puzzle is the hardest piece. And the only way to do that is to be on the journey of life. And I, I would not be where I am today if I didn't have all these ups and downs and these journeys and like, damn, where's that missing piece? You know, it's like, where's the missing piece? And forever I was looking for this missing piece and then podcasting stepped in and kind of completed my puzzle to where I could move on to the next puzzle. That makes sense. All right. If you had the chance to interview one guest on this podcast who is currently living, mm. who would they be and why? So it's a toss up between two of them. One of them would be Jay-Z and the other one would be Jeff Bezos. It just so happened that their, their names begins with Jay's, which is weird. But Jay-Z, just because we grew up in the same environment and, and he's like 10 plus years older than me. And to see what he's done with music and how he leveraged music and turned it into a multiple, you know, empire that's a billion dollar empire right now. And then he took that empire and he made other billionaires from that empire as well. You know, Rihanna is a product of Jay-Z. Kanye West is a product of Jay-Z. So, like, how, first of all, like, what, 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 like, what was your thought process to even think that you could become that person and to use that vehicle to then leverage, to then give back? So that, that would be Jay-Z. And with Jeff Bezos, it's just kind of like, he is at the, the level to where, you know, he's projected to probably be one of our first trillionaires in our lifetime. Like his level of wealth is completely outside the scope of the top 1% of the 1%. Like he's, he's beyond that. Right. And I would just want to sit down and kind of like really talk about transitioning in one lifetime from being someone that was on the stock market, maybe potentially becoming wealthy. Maybe you earning a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to be being, being worth a couple hundred billion that is that that's something that most people can't comprehend. And not only is he comprehending it, but he's living it now. I mean, those would those would be some good interviews, I have to say. I mean, and not many people have access to get those interviews. So, yeah, I, I like that. Now, going back to a, or switching to a, a personal mm -hmm. now, what is your, let's say, nerdy obsession? Because I feel like everybody's got a little nerd in them some way. Some, you, so you, you got to have a little bit of a nerdy obsession somewhere down the line. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a I'm a sci-fi buff. It's like it's weird. Like like when me and my wife are like watching TV, like she's like the lifetime 
like person like that that's her bucket and for me it's kind of like it, business is a great movie to watch but if i just want to kind of just relax it's space sci-fi like that's my thing so by default you can see behind me star wars star trek all of that kind of just falls into that spectrum and obviously marvel as well too marvel it, it went from being just about superheroes to like intergalactic travel and, and parallel universes and everything else on top of it so getting into those spaces and getting into like the nuances of that we don't live by ourselves potentially and that maybe we're not on the only plane in existence kind of just makes my mind go crazy a lot of times so do you do any voice impressions like vader or yoda <laughs> nope i do not do voice impressions like 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 i mean I, I i'm a quirky weird guy from time to times and i'll make random other voices but not necessarily Vader or Yoda. Okay. And then I'll, my last question, are you a chess man? If you could look behind me in my background, you can see multiple chess pieces. Yeah. So yes, I would say I don't play chess as much as I used to, but chess for me kind of became a way of living and not necessarily playing it for competition, but utilizing those squares, those 64 squares and looking at life in that plane. And it's understanding that every move, there's a counteraction and there's a reaction. And if I move this, this may not affect this next move, but 20 moves down, 10 moves down. So effectively applying that to life and business, chess is a way of life for me. I like it. Well, this has been fun. I, I like hosting podcasts now. Well, hey, there's always opportunity. And I think you definitely got the personality for it. And obviously, it's a hell of a marketing tool as well, right? So I definitely appreciate you taking time out your busy schedule. I think this episode was definitely fruitful, enlightening, entertaining. It was fun. And I mean, for a lawyer, I mean, dude, like you, you should have a pocket. You should be like a personality for sure. Well, I appreciate it. It's always good to hear. Great, great. Well, again, SA Grant, over and out. Thanks again. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762 762- 233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss in Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.